Basketball Society. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Atlantic Files. This is your host, Alex Fishbein, and we're here with episode number 50 and a special guest. We have David Wurzberger in the house, NBA writer for Vice Sports, Fan Rag Sports, Fan Sided, also writes WNBA Summit Hoops. How you doing, David? I'm doing well, Alex. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. We had a interesting bit of hoops last night. Um... So first, let's let's just start off with uh, the Atlantic teams in the postseason. We'll start off with that first, since that's the hot topic right now. Um, what do you think of the Celtics' chances of a getting past this series with the Bulls, and b moving on past that, like getting on past the second round and even maybe further? Well, here's a sentence I didn't think I'd be saying in these playoffs. It depends on if Rondo's back or not. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's it, it's crazy to think that that he'd be a, a, a deciding factor in the series, but you know uh, the Bulls lose Rondo uh, to, to to finger injury, if I'm remembering correctly, and you know Boston takes control in Game Three, and they definitely looked a little better. They're hitting their threes, they're uh, getting better looks, and uh, buckled down on the glass, and those were the big issues in Games One and Two. I, I think they definitely have a chance to to win the series, especially now they got Game Three. It's you know it'll take more performances like that, and I don't know. This this series is really weird. I mean, really weird. I think a lot of people thought that the Bulls would challenge the Celtics and maybe upset them, but for them to go up two zero on the road, and it's such it looked easy. It looked easy for them out there. I mean, the Celtics had no answers. Uh, but uh, and Brad Stevens is a smart coach. I, I didn't think the Celtics would go on to get swept or anything. And you know, we'll see. I, I'm hoping for a competitive series because I think that would bring a, a lot of fun. To, you know, just to see uh, Isaiah Thomas and Jimmy Butler going at it in, in Game Six or Seven. Right. Uh, but as far as after that, I, I think the Bulls basically just uh, sort of exposed the formula. I mean, it was obvious. You always knew coming in. You want to beat the Celtics. You just want to pound them on the glass and take advantage of Isaiah Thomas defensively. And that, that was pretty much known, but the Bulls really showed like to an extent like how far you can do it despite you know, maybe not having the talent the Celtics have. Right, The Bulls went up 2-0 on the road. And so uh, the next team they'll face, it will be the winner of the 4-5, which will probably be, uh, I believe it would be Washington. Uh, right, mm-hmm. That's the series, right? Yep. And, yeah, I, I think I'd take the Wizards uh, in that, especially considering... There's basically nowhere to hide Isaiah Thomas, and uh, Marcin Cortat can can definitely you know get down low and cause some problems. Oh yeah, exactly. And like I think the biggest thing that we saw here with the with the Bulls Celtics so far is I just remember seeing like just one series kind of summed it all up for me is that we had like Jerry and Grant at the top of the key passing it down to uh, Butler who was posting up Isaiah Thomas. And Butler passed it back out, but if any other like veteran point guard like Rondo was there, he would know to pass it straight back down because he has Isaiah Thomas on his back. Yeah. But Jerry and Grant was like, oh, I'm open, let's take a three. <laughs> so it was kind of like, right there, you just kind of knew, it was like, 
the Bulls just need that kind of IQ leader there at at the point guard position to really get it done with the Celtics. And, and hey, you know, I'm making fun of Rondo, but he's had a really good series. I mean, he's he's looked like good Rondo as opposed to what we've seen really the past couple of years. Uh, he's definitely trying a, a little harder defensively, go, going in and getting rebounds. Uh, he, he's been he's been really fun to watch. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's definitely been showing shades of uh, of vintage Rondo. Um, but yeah, like you said, the the formula to beat the Celtics is to to get to bang the paint, get into get on the boards, and um, like you said with with Washington, I don't think that. I mean, first off, you have Morris and Gortat down low, two guys that can rebound and then Morris can score. Um, and then you still have to worry about John Wall and Bradley Beal. Like, I just don't think that's that's going to bode well for the Celtics at all. Yeah, the, the, the Wizards have looked really good in their series. And, uh, yeah, I think that would be a really tough matchup for, for the Celtics. Especially, I mean, even Morris, like, who's going to be guarding him? You've got Al Horford and Amir Johnson. Uh, not exactly guys you want out on the perimeter chasing him. Now, Morris isn't the best three-point shooter, but he's a mobile big. So, exactly. it, there's a lot of questions for the Celtics in that series. But, you know, they have to get there first. Yeah, 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 that's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, switching over to the other Atlanta team, the Raptors, going off up against the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, how do you feel about their chances against Giannis and the Bucks? For the past couple of years, I've had an irrational, maybe it's not so irrational anymore. I never trusted the Raptors going into the playoffs. I thought, last year I thought they'd beat Indiana and lose in the second round. And if it weren't for a white side injury, maybe that would have happened. And even when Indiana won game one, I was thinking, damn, I should have picked Indiana. I really should have. <laughs> and the Pacers almost took the series. But... There's something about that team construction and what they're built on, and I, I just I don't trust it in the playoffs. I know they went to the conference finals last year, but it wasn't an impressive run. And this year, we're sort of seeing how smart teams that are they, they can just take advantage. I mean, I, I don't I don't think DeRozan DeRozan's a really good player. It's basically their offense is Lowry and DeRozan, okay? Right. And if you can shut one of them down or really hamper you know, uh, really hamper them, they're, they're not going to score. And they're a scoring team. They have no defense to fall back on. And so, like, the role players, I, I think, aren't uh, super reliable for, for at least playmaking. So you need Lowry and DeRozan to sort of be the the, the head of the train. Right. And and just the Bucks' length. And I said it coming in, I thought, Middleton, this Bucks, this, this Bucks team, they, they can shut down DeRozan. They can shut down DeRozan. I, I, I don't think he's a guy that is impossible to scheme against. Like, you, you talk about a guy like LeBron James. You can't scheme against LeBron. Now DeRozan isn't LeBron James. I, I'll use a better example. I, you can't really scheme against Isaiah Thomas. You just have to trap him and, you know, have him make that pass. Right. Uh, you know, dump off pass and make it a four on three. But even then, even with DeRozan, you don't necessarily have to do that. You, you you play good face up defense, and you could just sort of suffocate him in the paint when he comes in there. Let him shoot uh, long twos. He's not gonna kill you. I, I I don't trust him in the playoffs. Like, and Lowry, I mean, you know, he he's a really good player, but he's coming in a little banged up. 
And uh, the Bucks have a really good defense, man. And they really, really played the Raptors well. I actually missed uh, that game where uh, the Bucks. it was game three, and the Bucks just annihilated them. Oh, but yeah. they, uh, like... it's, I, this doesn't surprise me at all. I really thought the series could go either way. Mm-hmm. I was, was not surprised at all at seeing that. Maybe, you know, 30-point game. Okay, I was surprised at that, but... <laughs> Honestly, like this Bucks team is doing exactly what it needs to do, and I really loved this Bucks team all season. I thought once they found the right grouping, and you know, once the injuries stopped and they can sort of you know buckle down, get a consistent rotation, and guys were playing well, you know, I really thought they could be pretty good. And Giannis is—I'm so sorry for ever doubting Giannis. Honestly, he was—he was coming—he <laughs> was coming up in the league, and 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 folks on Twitter were just fawning over him they loved him and i'm like oh, yeah he's nice yeah he's gonna be good i mean what what there's nothing too special yet i, I know he's athletically amazing and then this year happens i'm like oh well that's <laughs> insane exactly <laughs> i was cu- coming into game one i mean geez that was such a great performance in game one on both ends and oh, i'm yeah. just like all right this this guy this guy's not not a joke anymore he he might be a top 10 top 15 player already yeah, and and the thing with Giannis that I personally like, I've been a big proponent of guys who can play defense, and Giannis is one of those like up and coming stars that actually wants to play defense, and I think it's like like refreshing and awesome just to see him like really get after it on defense, and like you said, scheming against. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, like, suffocating him in the paint, and even Kyle Lowry, if you have guys like Brogdon and Del Vadova pushing these guys towards the paint into Thonmaker, Giannis, Monroe, all these guys with a lot of length, it's like, it's not going to be easy to get any kind of bucket in the paint. And yeah. so, Sorry, go ahead. And, yeah, so, with, with DeMar DeRozan, then he has to kind of start thinking about taking threes. And we all know if DeRozan's taking threes, you can live with that anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Milwaukee's uh, defensive, uh, what word am I looking for? Uh, I'm completely blanking. I, I woke up <laughs> very recently. <laughs> um, what, what they run on defense is pretty risky. Uh, they, they like to trap, they like to use their length and just sort of uh, try and really make the ball handler uncomfortable. So what you want is a lot of guys that can sort of dribble and make plays and see the floor and see who's open because someone's going to be open when you're playing the Bucks. You just got to be able to make the right passes and try and get around their length. And for the Raptors, that's two guys. It's Lowry and DeRozan. And you want to throw Corey Joseph in there, great. But then Corey Joseph is going to have to guard Chris Middleton. And then what happens? Yeah, exactly. And then they, they say that like that's why they bring in guys like Abaka and Tucker. And it's like, okay, you bring those guys in, but they're not exactly contributing. So... Like, that's why there there has to be some kind of medium, like, of, okay, we have Lowry, we have DeRozan, there has to be something else. Like, there has to be some kind of outlet for all of that with those two. And uh, I know... It's, I was, not like, it's not like I really hate the rest of the rotation. Like, they're, they're good guys. I just... You can scheme against them really well, and someone needs to step up and just make plays, but... Ibaka is not really a guy that. Let's okay. So DeRozan gets uh, trapped top of the key on a pick and roll, right? right? He dumps it off to Ibaka. 
Ibaka is not Draymond. He can't, like, take a couple dribbles, uh, scan the floor with that length bothering him, and then uh, make a perfect pass to the weak side corner for, for an open shooter, right? It, right. It, he's just not a guy to make that play. And, you know, Patrick Patterson, uh, not 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 exactly. There really aren't a lot of guys that can do it. Damari Carroll, no. P.J. Tucker, not really. There's just not a whole lot of answers for that particular problem on this roster. Exactly. Plus, you have uh, their guy, Alan Chunis, who we've seen him, like, go off in the regular season for, like, 20 points and 15 rebounds. But then there's not really that kind of like freedom for him during the postseason because it's like even more of Lowry DeRozan time and I, like I've been saying it a lot no team is really afraid of Valanchunas going off that's not something they're really worried about yeah yeah I, I'd agree with that but also I'll give some credits to Thon Maker uh he's he's really held his own in these playoffs I mean he looks like he belongs out there and we 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 sort of saw only scant appearances of him during the regular season until it got late in the year. And now he, he he's making plays out there. And this Bucks team is going to be scary for a little while. This is without Jabari, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what that's what makes it more like, well, they they still have a guy waiting that's that's still pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Um so shifting gears a little bit away from the postseason now. So obviously the Atlantic has three teams in. Oh, good. Let's let's talk about the Knicks. <laughs> Great. <laughs> exactly. We, I mean, we forget, it's forget three the teams who have some of like a, a lot of problems. <laughs> um, uh. So yeah, I mean, bringing up the Knicks and uh, Chris Stapp's Porzingis with him saying how he's upset with Phil Jackson and upset with the Knicks and everything. What were your like initial thoughts when that first came out? Ah, man, you're ruining a perfectly good Saturday morning, Alex, I just want to say. <laughs> um, my initial thoughts, well, can you, can you curse on this podcast? I don't know. Yeah, I was, hey, I was, up, that's up to you, whatever you need. I was going to say, I was going to, I was going to say no shit, like, honestly, <laughs> like, honestly. Oh, he's, he's, he's tired of his general, ma- well, not, sorry, Phil Jackson isn't technically the general manager, but Phil Jackson calling out Carmelo in the press, and star player, Carmelo, who's sort of been a mentor for Kristaps and really helped him along. Shocking. He's not happy that Phil Jackson, who is not the coach, who is in the front office, is pushing all of Kristaps' coaches to run an antiquated offensive system and live by it and die by it. And Kristaps doesn't like it because it puts him in positions where he's not going to thrive. I'm shocked. I'm I'm bewildered. Why is he so upset? It's ah <laughs> oh god. I, it's really the Knicks' dysfunction is is really a work of art. They're the Picasso of incompetence. You know, they're just it, it's it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it has me like... it has me speechless. I don't really know what to say other than like uh, we need to go into Madison Square Garden with like a, a flamethrower and just like start it all over let's just <laughs> I, and i thought i thought the knicks did that i thought the knicks did that when they drafted Kristaps. So i'm like all right they can be a normal nba team now once maybe they could trade carmelo or carmelo's contract expires whatever they have their franchise guy they have their franchise guy who's awesome he's perfect he loves new york culture he loves new york he loves new york fans he's a really good guy it seems and a really good player and 
you can just start with him. You can just rebuild a new, start with him, and it's going to be great. He'll be the next Patrick Ewing. And somehow it looks like the Knicks are going to ruin this. And if they mess Kristaps Porz- if they mess this whole Kristaps Porzingis thing up, if they mess this up, I really I need I need to talk to my fellow Knicks fans and think, all right, maybe we should just I don't know. We'll get on the Kings bandwagon, maybe. I don't know. They're, they're looking up. I, I don't know. It's, honestly, I, I don't know. I don't know how up the Kings are really looking, but I mean, they're looking a little bit more up. <laughs> they're looking uh, upish. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So I like we we've actually had this conversation like within basketball society a lot about the Knicks because we have a couple guys who are Knicks fans, and um, it just seems that. Like you said, when they drafted Porzingis, it was like, okay, this is their time. They're going to start, like, the rebuild, and it's all going to start with him. And then as soon as the the signing of, like, Rose and Noah, it was like, ah, what exactly are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> so the Rose and Noah signing, uh, the the trade for Rose and the signing of Noah, I I know it's been ridiculed from day one. I'm going to defend it a little bit okay. because I think the idea of it wasn't awful. The execution was, and mm-hmm. everything around it has been awful. So, <laughs> so look, um, you have Porzingis, and you have Carmelo, and Carmelo's not in his prime, a little post-prime, but he's still really good. I, I just want to say, like, if he had a decent team around him and, and a coach that wasn't uh, had that it wasn't having his strings pulled by management. And I think Carmelo, we'd see, even for a month this year, after Phil Jackson called him out the first time, he looked really, really good. Oh, yeah. And so the Knicks look at this and think, okay, obviously Porzingis is the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do we want to go full rebuild when we have Melo here? He won't, like, we're not going to be able to tank with Melo. He'll win us 20 games himself. Uh, we're, we don't want to trade him, whatever. So let's try and, like, make this team good. And then once Melo leaves... And then, then Chris Tops will take over and go with the rebuild. Like that's not it's not it's really not bad. Like by the time Melo's contract expires, Chris Tops will be like twenty four. So it's not you know, I don't think it's a bad idea. Right. So uh, the Knicks aren't in great position to get uh, amazing guys, but they see they see Rose on a one year deal and they ditch Robin Lopez's uh contract to get him. And that's not really awful. Like, yeah, they traded Jerry and Grant. Like, I, could, I, I don't really imagine why why the Knicks were super upset. The Knicks fans were super upset about that, but whatever. So they get Derek Rose. Granted, he hasn't been good. But that's a high-risk move in, you know, the scant chance that he's actually good again, right? True. And honestly, he wasn't the worst this year. He was pretty bad, but he wasn't, he wasn't the worst. <laughs> no, he did have um, some stretches where he played some really good basketball. He was their only attacking uh, guard. He's like he's, he's probably like a top ten point guard in the past ten years for the Knicks, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> okay, and then you sign Noah, and the idea of signing Noah, I don't hate, especially if there's a chance that he's uh, half of what he was. He was about two percent of what he was this year, and they also signed him to a four year deal, which was nuts. That is the thing that that is where they really really screwed up. Right. But here's the thing about these two deals, like outside of the Noah contract, which God got just stupid, just no. <laughs> um, so let's say the Knicks were a functional franchise; they make this high risk, high reward move because in the one percent chance that Rose and Noah are actually good, this team makes the playoffs. Like we can agree on that, I yeah. think. Oh yeah. So fine, it fails. Experiment fails. Boohoo. Rose leaves in free agency. 
uh, you get a good draft pick like they have this year, and you just move forward with the rebuild. You trade Carmelo or you let Carmelo expire. and you be, like They didn't lose a whole lot in this deal. But sure. the Noah contract is what really hurts them. And the fact that we don't know whether the Knicks want to keep Derrick Rose. Like, I don't think so, but you never really know with these Knicks. And the fact that there's so much dysfunction that, that that's occurred, right? Like, I mean, this whole Phil Jackson calling out Carmelo and stuffing the triangle down everyone's throats and, and all this other nonsense. Now, you can't frame the Knicks as, okay, the experiment failed, now I'm just going to move forward with the rebuild. No, now you frame it as they don't know what the heck they're doing. I really don't know what's next. Please, I need an adult. Someone come help me. My <laughs> team is awful. It, so so that, 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 that's my take on the whole Rose, Noah, where the Knicks go from here situation. Like It's not hard if the Knicks were competent to say, all right, so now we trade Melo uh, and we rebuild about around Porzingis and like uh, Fox or whoever they draft, and that's it. Like really simple answer right like they're really not in a horrible position uh from a basketball rebuilding standpoint but it's really hard to trust their management right now because what in god's name are you doing yeah exactly and and that's true like i i see exactly where you're coming from like it's not it's not as if they're in a situation like the nets where they don't have their own picks for however many years and it's not like um they're still searching for that centerpiece guy so, like, it's all there, but they just have to know what to do with it. <laughs> the Knicks are so depressing, I can't wait to talk about the Nets. That's how <laughs> depressing the Knicks are. <laughs> so, all right, so moving on to the Nets then. So, we know that the Celtics still get their pick again. Um, compliments a la Billy King, my one of my favorite GMs of all time. Um, and I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> oh, don't worry. It's, there's plenty of sarcasm with that. <laughs> um, so, what exactly do you think they need to do this off season to set them up for, like, to better their rebuild efforts? Can I just say real quick before I answer your question? Mm-hmm. The past two years, uh, ever since they hired Sean Marks, I basically said. Okay, the Nets are about to be a model franchise. The Nets are a model franchise. Listen, guys, you don't understand. The Nets are going to be good. and They're rebuilding the right way. They're really, really smart. And everyone's just sort of been laughing at me as they're racking up 21 seasons. But seriously, like, no joke, I'm going to say it again. They're so smart, and they know exactly what they're doing, and they're going to be really good soon. But I'll answer your question. So this offseason, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the, the Nets are still looking for that sort of uh, centerpiece uh, to build around a rebuild. They don't have their picks, so they can't really do that. So they're going to be searching through uh, droves of late draft picks and summer league and all those guys and hope, you know, someone emerges. Uh, right now they have a couple of guys, young guys on the wing, Karis LeVert and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, though Hollis-Jefferson was playing more of the four. It doesn't matter. Uh, these two guys are really uh, showing a lot of promise, especially as a pairing. So I think they might be looking at more something from the point guard position or big man. Though really talent is is the key acquisition here. In free agency, the Nets are going to do what they did last year, which is um, sell guys on the culture they're they're building. They're trying to be the Spurs, essentially. The culture they're building, um, improving team, you'll get minutes here, your stats will go up, and you can get a big payday afterwards. They're going to sell people on this. And Brooklyn. So now the practice facilities in Brooklyn, like that's a big deal actually. Yeah. So the, you know, guys don't have to venture from Jersey. 
and you know they're gonna sell guys on that and they're gonna be smart and look for guys in the market that that really no no one's really paying close attention to no one is really out to to like like Jeremy Lin didn't have a million suitors chasing after him, right? So yeah. they're going to look for guys like that, and they might pay a little extra to get them. And maybe like a guy like Trevor Booker and the Nets got, and they're just going to be like good players. They're going to be great. They're not going to come together for to become a playoff team. And I would look out for a Brooke Lopez trade come draft day or maybe a little after that. I mean, I still... I, I still can't believe he, he's not... He hasn't been dealt yet. It just... From a simple standpoint, like I wish he could stay in that forever because he's awesome, and oh, yeah. he's 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 just been a, a fun a fun net to have, and and the guys really love him. He he he's been in trade rumors every single year, and he still comes and plays a hundred percent. And he's he's good. He's really good. Yeah, if the Nets were a lot to his game too, if the Nets were a playoff team, he'd be an all star. But that's besides the point. Um, he he's going to be an expiring contract in twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I don't know what kind of contract he's going to demand afterwards. I don't know if the Nets want to deal with that. And I feel like he's their best asset right now. So the smart thing would, would be to trade him for like a first-round pick on draft night. Uh, right. We'll see if that happens. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the Celtics, after, you know, they see how uh, they got worked on the boards. Eh, Brooke Lopez isn't really an answer for rebounding. But, you know, maybe they want some size and they think, oh, okay, maybe we should go after Brooke or, or someone. Uh, after this playoff run or just coming into the offseason, thinks that they want this guy and and are willing to part with a first-round pick for him. Uh, I think that's what I'd expect from the Nets this offseason. I think it's still the right way to go. Um, as far as getting that one franchise centerpiece, I don't know how they do it. It's going to be really hard without draft picks. Right, yeah, exactly. So, like, it, it just always seems like they're kind of kind of just playing the waiting game until they can get to that point where it's like, okay, now we can get our centerpiece guy. And uh, You know what the funny thing is? What? By the time they get their uh, first-round picks back, they might not be bad enough to tank for that uh, top three pick. I'm serious. <laughs> no, I'm not I'm not even joking. I That's really true. think the Nets with Jeremy Lin, late in the, Grant is late in the season. They were winning games. They were like 500 for a stretch. And they were really competitive. Jeremy Lin had a great season when he played. He played like I don't even know twenty twenty five games something like that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I it's I'm seriously on the uh, you know on the train of the Nets are going to be good even competing for the playoffs really soon. Yeah, I mean, I they do have some guys that I've always watched and like really enjoyed watching them. I mean, like I do like watching Jeremy Lin. I like watching Kilpatrick. Um, yeah. He, he was a guy that. Uh, was with the Sixers for like a 10-day, and I was hoping they would sign him, but that never happened. Um, and then, like, you were talking about Hollis Jefferson and Levert. Like, those are guys that I think will be the ones that will stick around as time goes on. Um, and I do like their hirings in both, like, head coach, the front office. I, I do yep. think they're definitely headed in the right direction. Um but yeah, it's kind of just like a matter of time at this point. I, I hate to jump back to this, but it just uh, the Knicks, like, it'd be so easy. They have all they paid. I don't even know what they paid Phil Jackson. Just send all that money to some Spurs assistant. Well, the Nets just took a Spurs assistant GM. Send it to a Hawks assistant GM. I don't know. Well, and their Hawks GMs have had interesting histories. <laughs> but you understand my point. You know, 
go get a really smart guy that knows what he's doing. Like, get a Warriors assistant GM or something somewhere in their front office. Get him. Get a smart coach. Like, this is not difficult at all. This year coming up, there is a guy who used to be a Sixers GM that's coming off of a non-compete. That's perfect. That that honestly, honest to God, he's a smart GM and he's got a big enough name that Dolan could sell on on the Knicks fan base and the NBA. Honestly, and I don't think he'll try and tank again. So, I mean, personally, my my prediction has been that the Kings are going to get him as soon as he's available. Um, Just I I feel like Sam Hinkie's smart enough to to not want to. You know, I mean, throw himself into the wolves like that. <laughs> I mean, Sam Hinkie's a an interesting guy. He, I feel like he could be like, ah, I'll be the one to, to flip them around. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe as uh, he as he as he checks his uh, as he gets an alarm every hour to make sure he reflects on what what he did the hour before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, so rounding it out, we'll just finish with the last team that has caused me many sleepless nights: the Sixers. Um, so, do you think that Embiid, Simmons, and then their next draft pick are going to be their core, or are some of these guys just never going to be healthy enough? Uh, let's see how healthy Embiid is. Uh, Ben, was Ben Simmons a foot? Yes. If I remember correctly? That's, that's scary. That, a foot, foot scary. Um, but, you know, we we just gotta see in time. Uh, see how they play out. Uh, the beauty of it is, if they don't, the Sixers could just keep getting draft picks. I guess. Um, and, uh, do you think Joel Embiid should be Rookie of the Year? See, I've I've gone back and forth about this a lot. Um, I I'm pretty firm on the stance that I feel like they should at least play half the season. So in in that regard, half the season would be nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I he, he mean. Played, he, Play 30 games on a minutes restriction. Yeah, exactly, with no back-to-backs, anything like that. And, I, I love I love me some Joel Embiid, but... Oh, yeah. And, I mean, like, the month of January was, like, one of the most fun months as a Sixers fan in, like, years. So, it was awesome seeing it, but at the same time, I'm like, it has to either go to, like, Dario or Brogdon. Like, yeah. I mean, those guys played most of the season, put up very solid numbers like it, it just has to be one of them okay if we can get a healthy here's here's the lineup Embiid, simmons sarich uh blank and i don't know stauskas and uh and maybe a fault or a lonzo ball or one of those guys in the draft if we get a healthy starting five like that next year just out there playing Oh, yeah. That would be really, really. I don't care if they're bad. That'd be fun as hell to watch. Oh yeah, and if you have, if they have Covington coming back to still have Covington, uh, him in the, the the defense itself would be just fun to watch. Not even, yeah. not even looking at the offense. Yeah, um, but yeah, the they there's just so many question marks with them that it's like I don't know if it's gonna work out. I don't know if it will. I just it's kind of just a toss up from here. <laughs> It's it's pretty hard to to you know project how everyone sort of works out, but yeah, I'm hoping for the best. That that team that team's fans have been uh, subjected to quite a bit. Yeah, it's uh the only the only thing I keep remembering. Like I watch the postseason, I'm like, yeah, I remember when the Sixers were an eight seed and beat the Bulls. It feels like ages ago. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was that was a good Andre Iguodala series, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh yeah, Andre Iguodala, Evan Turner, Spencer oh, yeah. Hawes. That's a dream team. <laughs> oh, oh man, yeah. it was that was a ragtag bunch of guys right there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had them beating the Celtics in the second round that year, dude. They play the Celtics next, right? Yep, they took them to seven. It did go yeah. to seven. I think I had the I think I had the Sixers beating the Celtics because I thought Iguodala was like emerging as like a legitimate star. Oh yeah, and not not quite, but you know, it was it was fun. And then we all know how that ended with Bynum. So, <laughs> Oof. Oof. <laughs> yeah, it's a treading on some hurtful territory. Oh yeah, we we've had our share of of hurt big men. So, kind of kind of just hoping and praying it doesn't uh, repeat itself. <laughs> But all right, that is it for us. Thank you for joining me, David. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, your latest work, and I hope you have a good one, man. You too, Alex. Thanks. Yep.